1: musical chameleon Alison Goldfrapp there channeling Chrissy Amplett singing very much like Chrissy from the Divinals and that track was called Anymore It is five after four. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Thank you, as always, to the wonderful Matt Gleason from Burning Vinyl. Love your work, Matt. And we have two fabulous guests on the show this week here on In Your Face till five o'clock. The first one uh, is very much a high energy, very visual, beautiful vocalist called Alex Dubois. And they're going to be chatting with us about their music. And I'm going to be playing a couple of their tracks as well. And at 4.35, uh, Jane Green returns from the Vixen Collective. Of course, she was on the show last week talking about that protest outside the Australian Summit Against Sexual Exploitation, which is very which is very anti-sex worker. That was a, a forum happening at RMIT on the weekend. She'll be talking in more detail this week about the Vixen Collective and also other groups here in Victoria like the Scala Alliance and a whole kind of, you know, collective of sex worker organisations that are pushing for the decriminalisation of sex work in the lead-up to the Victorian state election. So lots to look forward to. All right, though, we're going to check out some of Alex's work, Alex Dubois. This track is called Strings Attached, and it's their new single. very beautiful music of Alex Dubois there, otherwise known as Harder uh, Tracks. And that track was called uh, Strings Attached. And the artist himself joins me in the studio here on In Your Face. Welcome, Alex.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me. Very happy to be here. It's
1: a great pleasure. Now, look, you've said in your bio that Porter's Head is an influence over your music. Tell us more about that. I can hear that influence and it's gorgeous.
2: Yeah, so I suppose with my music, um, I have got a few uh, different different illnesses. For is it's definitely a big one. So is Arca and Massive Attack. I just really hope to one day be able to make and produce the music that they do. At the moment, it's whatever I'm making now, whatever I know in my scope, because I'm quite new to making music in general. I'm really kind of just learning the ins and outs of it, experimenting, and I guess not being afraid of... Um, yeah, experimentation. So hopefully these influences, meeting them halfway, um, that's that's my particular star, this kind of trip-hop, um, disjointed um, vibe, this kind of chaos underneath all of my music,
1: but a little bit muted, I suppose. You've clearly got an artistic background. Tell us about the platform that's led you into music. You've obviously come from somewhere else in the arts and you're channelling your musical talents now.
2: Yeah, well, I've, um, I've always worked as a fashion photographer.
1: Right. Uh, predominantly freelance.
2: And uh, I've been doing that for a good... I suppose ten years now, um, and at some point in 2010, I started a magazine called Faint Magazine, It's a f- fashion and art publication. Uh, I ran it from Melbourne, but it was internationally distributed, and it was, I guess, a platform to to help emerging artists and designers um, have a voice, share their art, share their work, um, and yeah, just give them give them that platform. I was in charge of curating all the artists and you know organizing the interviews unfortunately now it's um it's a bit of a funny story actually now someone's kind of ident, uh, someone's taken my identity they've registered the website because it's been so long since I've actually run it and they're um yeah trying to pass it off as their own so if anyone's at home googling Faint magazine, whatever you're coming across is not mine <laughs> It's kind
1: of flattering though it's they've a bit
2: flattering that- but it's really infuriating um
1: and I commercially should. compromising.
2: Yeah, it's just it's just really damaging to you know something that I've you know worked very hard on for a long time. Um, so yeah, I might have to look into look into that.
1: <laughs> so tell us about your stage presence. There's a bit of an alter ego happening, yeah.
2: I suppose you'd call it an alter ego. Yes, I started making music as Hard Tracks initially to kind of overcome this social anxiety that I've been kind of riddled with for um, quite a long time. I'm pretty nervous right now as we speak. But um, yeah, Heart tracks for me was, you know, I started with the intention of making music so that I could get up on a, on a stage, you know, um, come into a radio station and do the interview, perform the music um, that I'm making. And I guess, yeah, this alter ego, putting on the clothes, putting on the makeup, the hair, um, being this person that, you know, is is me, it's, it's within me, it's just, it gives me that platform to really kind of explore the performative side of things that I've never really done, you know, coming from a photography background, it's always been behind the camera. So for me, this time, it's a chance to get, I suppose, in front of the camera, on the stage, and really be at my most vulnerable, and um, yeah, just see how I can deal with it.
1: <laughs> so describe that visual look that you have on stage. I mean, it's obviously different to how you're looking now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I imagine there's influences from gender diversity happening as well?
2: Uh, most definitely, yeah, most definitely. For me, though, I, I find um, it's an interesting one because I find it. It's, it's definitely an extension of who I am, so I don't, I don't see it as putting on a mask. I seeing as it it's an extension of of myself. Um, you know, I, I, I'm pretty thrifty. Whatever I can find around the place, I I kind of make uh, make do. I have relatively no makeup, so it's usually a matter of smudging on lipstick, as eye li- as as eyeshadow and blush. Um, but yeah, I kind of just just kind of play around with it. Um, I super glued a piece of a weft of hair into the back of my head once for a whole weekend. Um, which ended up being quite ridiculous. You put what on the back of your head? <laughs> I didn't have I didn't have a weft with a clip, so I had to super glue it onto the back of my head. Well, I didn't have to, but I chose to super glue it onto the back of my head um, for a good three days. Um, needless to say, it wasn't the most attractive thing in bed. Waking up on Monday morning. <laughs>
1: So you have performed at uh, some festivals. You did the Gay Times Festival. What was that experience like?
2: I did. Look, Gay Times Festival was really, really wonderful. It was. Tell a us about experience. Gay Times. For yeah, people who don't know. A Gay Times um, is a festival uh, that is run by the people who organise Closet Party, um, Anna and Mason. And it was, what was it was at Lake Mountain Alpine Resort. So it was a really, really beautiful area um, with really w- wonderful performers. Everybody was. I guess, almost like family. You grow you grow up around these people in the community here in Melbourne and then, you know, you will see each other on top of a giant mountain and everyone's making this incredible music and just just so completely unpretentious and supportive. It was a fantastic time. I had a lot of issues, I guess, prior to the festival of thinking, you know, oh, I'm not good enough or I can't do this or this is too overwhelming, should I pull out? But I followed through with it and um, I... You know, don't regret it at all. It was one of the most um, – it was the greatest experiences and I'm so happy to be a part of
1: it. We've had quite a few uh, emerging queer artists who are musicians on the show in recent months, people like Yvonne Raphael, Simo Sue. Uh, who are your local influencers? Uh, we've had William Elm on the show as well. And are there any local influences that we might expect a collaboration with between you and them in the coming yeah. times?
2: Well, um, yeah, I'm quite close with um, Yvonne Raphael, um, <laughs> Yvonne and Simo. Um, so I've actually – Been really, really hoping to do a collaboration with both of them, to be honest.
1: Any insights about what that might entail? Uh,
2: Not just yet. Not just yet. I'm not too sure. Um, I really, really admire um, Ewan's... um, I love the music that Ewan makes, um, Yvonne. Um, I don't really play keys as proficiently, so it'd be great to um, maybe just have a jam session with um, Yvonne and see what we can come up with because it's something I've always wanted to do and I think our voices complement each other quite well. It could be... Yeah, it could be really nice. Otherwise... Satsuma Memphis um, <laughs> okay, I've got a yeah. I love I love Satsuma. I saw them perform for the first time at Gay Times. Um, I'd love to do some kind of collaboration with them at some point if they wanted to. Just <laughs> put that out there.
1: <laughs> so, how much maintenance goes into that beautiful voice that you have? Do you find that you have to have singing lessons at least once a week, or how do you how do you keep your voice in great shape? Uh,
2: well, first of all, thank you. <laughs> I actually don't um, do too much. I probably smoke a little bit too much. Um does that help? It it might help, you know. It might help. It, it is what it is, I suppose. Um but you yeah, know, I've been looking into into both going back to Ableton and learning all the software properly because I kind of jumped headfirst into it and um was just so excited about the fact that I, you know, music was possible and I could make this and I could experiment.
1: So the voice your voice on your tracks is quite affected um or yep. like how how much is it really how you sound? I guess is that one asking look I it's <laughs> it's a little bit
2: of, bit of both, but I won't lie the equipment that I have the um, TC helicon um I've had a great time playing with it for me it's both the sound that I like to make um, and it's the sound I feel comfortable with um but there is also the fact that my my home bedroom studio is you could hardly call it a recording studio, but um the equipment I have probably isn't top notch and um I do it as a way of masking, I suppose, some hisses or some, you know, ambient sounds. And it's, it's just a kind of, it's a, it's a technique to kind of cushion everything and, um, yeah, make it sound as if it's not from my
1: bedroom. <laughs> when can we expect to see you performing again here in Melbourne?
2: Performing again here in Melbourne, I'm not too sure at this stage. I've decided um, to maybe take a little bit of time to work on um, my music to really perfect my craft. Um, just for the next gig that I do have, there are no hiccups. And um, yeah, I can give you the best show that I possibly can. So I'm not too sure at this point, but I'm, I'll make sure to um, yeah, obviously let everyone know on my Facebook and my
1: Instagram. <laughs> got a track of yours to play to take us out. Uh it's called Cut Holes and Sink 'em," but you must tell us what this track is all about.
2: Okay, yeah, so Cut Holes and Sink I've been meaning to put vocals on this for quite a while and never really got around to it. Um this is another track that I've been looking to collaborate with someone on. Um, It's named after Operation Chase, um, which was uh, part of the American Defence Force, uh, an operation of the American Defence Force in the late 1960s to early 1970s, where they would um, dump munitions in the oceans, like really toxic chemicals and um, nerve agents and all that kind of stuff. So for me, I wrote it um, with the idea of attaching that to insecurities and anxiety and feelings of self-doubt
1: and just getting rid of all that—that's um, a very creative link, like, <laughs> isn't it? Between like all that toxicity and all yeah. that creativity, and you know something that happened back back in the day, yeah. Like um, that shows a very creative thought pattern.
2: Yeah, well, it's it's you know quite often, more often than not, I'm in a vortex of Google Chrome tabs. So at some point, two of them are going to link, and it's going to inspire each other. But it sounds like you've got some kind of a
1: passion for environmental activism as well. <laughs> a little bit, I suppose you could say that. Wow. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, Alex Dubois, uh, AKA Heart Attracts. Thank you so much for joining us today on In Your Face. Love your music. Can't wait to hear more of it. And here is your track: Cut Holes and Sinkem. Thank you very much. You're on Three C Up. Music of harder tracks, otherwise known as Alex Dubois, and that track was called "Cut Holes and Sink 'em." It is twenty four after four. You're on Interface Your on three CR with James. Up real soon, I'll be talking to sex worker activist Jane Green from the Vixen Collective, all about the push and the campaign for the decriminalisation of sex work here in Victoria. But in the meantime, here are the Lemonheads.
3: My name is Luca I live on the second floor
2: In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday.
1: Years in the making, Radical Radio celebrating 40 years of 3CR is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station.
2: At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just $30. You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy
1: or online at 3CR.org.au forward slash shop.
2: Get a piece of your own history on sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now.
1: Yeah, it's a great book. Check it out. Uh, We're really rocking here at 3CR. We've been going for over 40 years, and the book is a beautiful depiction of us as an activist hub are through all those incarnations that they entail. So check out the book. It is almost 4.30. You are in your face on 3CR and here a Mazzy Star.
4: on my easel I drew While I was thinking of you And on the roof of my head in came my five-string Thinking of you And on the roof of my head And came my five-string surname
3: Honey, who needs the static it hurts the head And you wind up cracking And the day goes dismal From breakfast by me To the sign of prayer What a sorry face you get to wear I'm gonna tell you again
1: For voice of Joni Mitchell. You turn me on, I'm a radio. It is 4.36. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James, We also had Mazzy Star in there with their track Five String Serenade. And uh, on the line we have Jane Green. Jane Green's from the Vixen Collective, which is a peer support organisation for sex workers, and she's one of the leading sex worker activists in, in Australia and certainly in Victoria, pushing for the decriminalisation of sex work in this state. Welcome once again to 3CR, Jane. Great to have you on board. Thanks so much for having me. It's a great pleasure. So last week we spoke and you were attending a protest outside the Australian Summit Against Sexual Exploitation at RMIT. How did that go?
0: It looked really well. We had the protest a block away from where the summit was actually being held. Uh, More than 50 people uh, came out to support us, including RMIT academics and staff, which I think says a lot about people's feelings about the event. Um, And it went really well.
1: Fantastic, of course. uh, There's a state election in November. Uh, You'll be campaigning strongly for the decriminalisation of of sex work. Tell us about the Andrew government's policy position on the decriminalisation of sex work in Victoria.
0: Well, look, there are several political parties that support the decriminalisation of sex work in Victoria. The Labor Party at their recent state conference um, has adopted support for sex work decriminalisation. The Green policy, on sex work supports decriminalisation in Victoria, as does the Reason Party. The Liberal Party, I think many people are aware, proposed a motion at their state council earlier this year to support the Nordic model or the mm-hmm. Swedish model of sex work criminalisation, which would be very harmful. So I think it's gonna be a really important election for us.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And of course, sometimes there is a, a gap or a lag between the, you know, the party machinery, if you like, conferences supporting a particular policy position and the parliamentary party lagging behind. Has the, uh, Andrews government actually said it would legislate, uh, for the decriminalisation of sex work either before the election or afterwards if they're returned? Well, no
0: party's made that commitment. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. There. A real difference between stating support for our community on paper and actually taking action on the basis of those statements. And I think sex workers, not just here in Victoria but around the country, are pushing really hard for government to better support our rights and to actually take action on them.
1: To what extent will you be framing decriminalisation as a human rights issue?
0: It, it simply is a human rights issue. And importantly, it's a labour rights issue. Uh, we're looking for a system of regulation and to a action is a system of regulation that supports us as other workers are supported in their work.
1: To what extent has the union movement uh, offered you support, uh, particularly in relation to improving industrial conditions for sex workers?
0: Well, look, it's it, um, a difficult thing here in Victoria. We will say that certainly some of the protests that we've had over the last few months, particularly raising issues of concern uh, about the Victorian Greens who are running an anti-sex work candidate. Um, unions have come out and supported us and that's really important but it needs to happen more.
1: Have you met with Richard Wynne, Victoria's Planning Minister and the member for Richmond and the opponent of our uh, Greens candidate Kathleen Maltzan, who you alluded to before. Uh, has he responded in any way personally to your calls for decriminalisation?
0: Look, no, I haven't spoken to Richard Wynne but if Richard's listening I think we'd be very interested to meet with him. Um, but I think It's important for all politicians to support the human rights of all people and to support the labour rights of all workers. And if they're not doing that actively, then that's a problem.
1: And it's interesting because Richard Wynne did second preference the sex party, which is now the Reason Party at the last state election, uh, and preference them well ahead of the Greens, which I think is interesting, isn't
0: it? Well, look, I think preferences are important and they should flow to parties that also support our rights. Um, I will say that people often equate the sex party with supporting the rights of workers, but any party is only good at the policy that it holds, how well it supports us, and the actions that they take on in regard to that policy.
1: Has reason party leader Fiona Patton given sex worker groups any strategic advice uh, about campaigning that you 're aware of, and if so, what she said
0: um, Look, I think we 're more than capable of working out what we need to do and doing it on our own. that said we will be looking to meet with people prior to and post the election. Because
1: she is a big supporter. Um,
0: yes, but I, I think it's important to realise that the Reason Party, which was formerly the Sex Party, has put out policies that support the sex industry broadly, including owners and operators of brothels, and often their interests conflict strongly with those of sex workers, which is why we need to put po- pressure on all politicians to support workers' rights.
1: Is there an umbrella organisation for brothel owners?
0: Um, Yes, that's called the Eros
1: Association. And uh, what's their position on decriminalisation? I imagine they're pushing for it as well.
0: No, not at all. Why not? Um, And look, we've asked them that. And when I say the the rights of brothel owners and operators often conflict with those of workers, it's no different for workers in any industry. Often the um, owners of um, businesses and industry have interests that conflict with those of their workers. Um, Eros has been asked to come out and support and endorse sex work decriminalisation. They've chosen not to do so. And I think there's been significant criticisms of Eros, particularly over the last year, when they've campaigned against what they term as illegal brothels in a way that I would typify as being quite racist and problematic. Encouraging police presence in the lives of sex workers is almost always harmful, particularly when you're encouraging people's workplaces to be raided they'll be put in the position of potentially ending up with criminal records that will follow them for life, potentially deported, potentially having their children removed if child services are involved. So it's a really negative pattern of behaviour, and they need to be called on that.
1: It's very strange, isn't it, that um, people that run brothels would want their industry to remain um, criminalised. Why would it be in their interests to do that, do you well, think?
0: Well, look, at the moment, um, we have a, what's called a licensing system mm. here in Victoria. So some tax workers criminalised. Particularly street based sex work, but also sex work that occurs um, not in accordance with the licensing laws. But the licensing laws themselves do, to a certain extent, protect the interests of brothel owners and operators. So I think there's a general consensus by them that that system provides an advantage for them. They don't want to see it gone. But that's why it's so important to listen to sex workers ourselves about what's best for us and what's right for us. Because
1: mm-hmm.
0: at the end of the day, we're the people that need our rights. With the people that are
1: marginalised and harmed by this law. Mm, absolutely. So uh, have you called on State Attorney-General Martin Pakula to meet with the delegation of sex worker organisations? Because I imagine your input would be incredibly important for any uh, legislation his department, Department of Justice, uh, would be drafting if the Labor Party truly is committed to the decriminalisation of sex work. Look, we request
0: meetings quite regularly mm. um, with various federal and government. Um, I can't say we have a lot of success and that's part of the problem. Mm. Um, the huge issue for us is that other people, um, including organisations that are profoundly against sex workers' rights, are often prioritised in those places and listened to where they're not given a chance to speak or speak at the table
1: in government processes and policy making. The push for the decriminalisation of sex work in Australia seems especially strong in Victoria and Queensland. Why is that?
0: I think where your rights are most infringed upon, often you're forced to speak most loudly in defence of your human rights. I'd also note that South Australia, where sex workers are still completely criminalised, there's been an ongoing decriminalisation campaign, and decriminalisation legislation has come before Parliament multiple times. But I'm certainly here in Victoria, and I can't speak for Queensland, as a Victorian sex worker, I think we are assailed from multiple fronts all the time. We have a very high concentration of anti-sex work groups that lobby actively against our rights and stigmatise our community. And we're also the only state or territory in Australia that doesn't have a funded sex worker service. Mm. And that's a critical failing. that affects Victorian sex workers every day. And that needs to change.
1: And obviously, uh, any law reform in relation to decriminalisation would have to provide that funding. Otherwise, the the legal changes are, are muted to a large degree.
0: Absolutely. Not. There's a long history of Australia that in Australia of realising that community-based organisations that work within and for their own communities are the best practice models for marginalised communities. It's no different for sex workers and we really need that essential service.
1: There's a few months to go to the election. I imagine we're going to see some more direct actions from our sex worker groups. Can you give us a little bit of a taste about what they might involve?
0: Well, I think we're going to certainly continue to see protests um, in regard to the Greens. Because um, that's a long running issue. It's now the third state election where the Greens have run a candidate who has had a long history of stigmatising our community and arguing against our rights. And I think that we can expect that to continue to occur. But I also think you can expect to see a broad campaign for decriminalisation and better support for sex workers' labour rights. And look, Victim's been raising that issue for the entire 13 years of being in existence as a voluntary, unfunded organisation.
1: Jane Green, will continue to monitor this issue and uh, give you a voice here at 3CR. We think it's a very important issue and uh, best of luck with the campaign for the decriminalisation of sex work in Victoria and we'll be hearing more of you in the coming months, no doubt.
0: Absolutely, and thank you so much. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.